Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Well, we've been thinking a little bit about this uh, idea of jumping in, and uh, that's just a way of saying, how do we jump into the kingdom of God, kingdom life, and kingdom work, and, uh, and what does that look like? And we started off talking about the decision to jump in and some of the things that are involved in that decision, and then we talked last week about the risk of jumping in, and today we're talking about the opposition to the jump. And... Uh, I, I think the Bible sends us some conflicting messages, and so uh, I don't know about you, but when I think about the Bible, I sort of land over here on this place that says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake, even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no either, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, that's more to my liking. I would rather think about green pastures and still waters. And certainly the scripture invites me into this place of green pastures and still waters. But... But I don't know about you, but I'm not sure that for a lot of us, we would say the, the 23rd Psalm is sort of our hope for life. It's not necessarily our experience of life. It's what we would like to have happen, but it seems like even though there are some... Tran- and of course, David wrote the 23rd Psalm, and uh, he had a less than, you know, still water, green pasture kind of life. I mean, there was a lot going on for David. And, and so I feel drawn to peace. I feel drawn to that... Uh, Henry Nouwen, in talking about the life of Christianity and faith, he, he writes these words. Did I offer peace today? Did I bring a smile to someone's face? Did I say words of healing? Did I let go of my anger and resentment? Did I forgive? Did I love? These are the real questions. I must trust that the little bit of love that I sow now will bear many fruits here in this world and in the life to come, So I, I think there's a part of us that we uh, think about what it would mean for us to not only experience love and joy and peace and grace, but also traffic in it. That that's just what comes out of us. That's just the fruit we bear and the, the seeds we plant. Because we, we, I, I like to think of a peaceful life. I, I would like to have a peaceful life. I think most of us feel that way. And so when we begin to think about jumping into kingdom life, I, I don't think most of us make a value judgment. I don't think most of us say, well, you know, there are more important things than, you know, kingdom life and kingdom work. I don't really think that we make a value judgment like that. I think what most of us feel is, I don't have room for one more thing. I am up to here. <laughs> life, activity, stress, demands. So over at the church, you know, when they're saying, uh, jump into kingdom life, I'm like, yeah, I, I'd like to. <laughs> so in this little series, we've been trying to say, remember all the way back when we were talking about the decision to jump in, I, I ended that sermon by asking you a question, in what places are you jumping in? The idea is not that we're inviting you to jump into a new place, it's just you, you are already in, <laughs> but maybe you think of it in a new way. In what way are you jumping in? Are you jumping into kingdom life at work? Are you jumping into kingdom life at home? 
Uh, it's not something else to do. I mean, I'm not recruiting new workers today. We did that a few weeks ago. <laughs> We're not really taking a special offering. We did that last week. But giving thought to the fact that if it's so often in our lives, and I don't know if this is true of everybody, but I think it's true of most of us. It's even true of me, and that is... When I think about things in my life that I could sort of be careful about with my time and my energy, it's usually the things involved with serving the kingdom that are expendable. I mean, honestly, when you think about, I got to go to work, I got to pay the bills, you got to do the laundry, you got to do the yard, you got to, those things have to happen. And so when I think about, you know, wanting a peaceful life and, and, and green pastures and still waters, generally speaking, I would say that the one thing that's pretty negotiable is kingdom life how I participate in kingdom life. That's the one thing that I could probably go, well, if I make it to church, that's okay. If I don't make it to church, ah, you know, God loves me anyway. Amen? Amen. Everybody still okay? <laughs> you're like you're scared. <laughs> so I think in that process, then, you know, there's this kind of sense in which kingdom life becomes something that we, we sort of hold in reserve. And I think God wants us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be taken care of. And, and I don't know about, but, you know, I think sometimes people think, since you're a pastor, you don't struggle with that. Oh, you know, being a pastor is a job. It's not the equivalent of the kingdom. You can be a pastor and actually have very little to do with the kingdom. Doesn't mean you're doing it well. It just means you can. It can just become a a job and being a teacher is a job and you can do it in a kingdom life way or you can do it in a way that really pays no attention to kingdom life being a business person is you can do that in kingdom life way or you can not it's just a it's a it's a whole mindset that goes with that and I think when we're seeking peace and we're desiring peace and we see this image of God in which he intends for us to have peace and and so we're always trying to sort of hold down the activity and hold down the things that are stressing us out. But, but opposition isn't like that. We don't really get to choose it or not choose it. It sort of happens to us and it, it goes along with us and we sense it. So I thought it would be a good idea today to do a couple of things. I mentioned it earlier. I want to talk a little bit about our attitude in the middle of opposition or conflict. And then I want to talk about a strategy for dealing with opposition from the story of Elijah. Uh, everybody good with that? All right, so let's talk about the attitude first. Uh, I think there are three questions that are very important for us to ask when we are in the middle of opposition. And by the way, opposition is such a part of us. It's such a part of our makeup. And uh, I, I think it's very important that we have some sense. And if you were to just this morning say, where is conflict happening? Where is opposition happening in my life? Uh, maybe these are some good questions to ask. Question number one, far too seldom asked, what is right? What is right? If I'm going to have an attitude that works in the middle of conflict, I, I need to be pursuing something that is right. I'm astonished how often in our culture, because this question of what is right is so complex and difficult, I believe, and I've said this before, I think the greatest disservice we can do to one another, the greatest disservice that, that a talking head can do on television, the greatest disservice that a politician can do, is to treat issues as if they are simple. Because issues in our culture are not simple. They're super complex and multi-layered. And so when someone presents to us something that is so simple, the fact is when you ask this question about conflict and opposition in your life, what is right, you have to be prepared for the responsibility that comes with it because that is a big question. 
In fact, I think it's such a difficult question to grapple with, and it requires so much of us that most of us have stopped asking this question, and instead, we ask a different question, what is my opinion? And we have begun to act like our opinion is right, but, but what is right and what is our opinion are two very different things. In fact, I, I'm pretty sure that when I feel absolutely that my opinion is right, it usually takes one encounter with an individual who has a different perspective to whom I am willing to listen to change my mind. <laughs> because when I begin to hear other perspectives and other ideas and other situations and other circumstances, my opinion of what is right evolves and changes. And so this question, what is right, becomes very important. I'm shocked at how seldom, when you hear a politician talk, do they ever stop and say, Listen, let's talk about what's right. Let's talk about what's fair. Let's not talk about one opinion or the other opinion or one side or the other side. Let's talk about what's genuinely right at all of the layers. And if it's right, it has to be right for everyone. It's not just right for some people and for other people. It is right across because right is right. Truth is truth. Good is good. And so when we're in conflict, we're, we're seeking what's right with humility and an openness. That's our attitude. That's who we are. That's kingdom life in this world. What's right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Second question, who's the patient? So often when I have people come into the office, they're there not because they're having a good time. They're usually there because something's gone wrong, <laughs> and they end up in my office. So sometimes that's a marriage that's gone wrong. Sometimes it's a parent-child conflict that's gone wrong sometimes it's friendships that have deteriorated sometimes extended family and, and so I always try to ask this question early and that is who's the patient here because I don't know about you but when I'm in conflict I believe I'm the patient who needs to get well me who's hurting me who needs to be sedated <laughs> yeah perfect perfect Hopefully that got on the live stream. <laughs> so who's the patient? Because here's the thing. When we're in conflict with somebody, I'm not the patient and they're not the patient. The patient is the relationship we share. And, and, and when you think about how this applies in the broader scope of life, man, I, I've seen people in conflict with one another, each deciding they are the patient. And when they believe they are the patient... It is sad to watch as they work and work and try and fight and conflict and watch the real patient slowly dying. <laughs> and the real patient is the relationship they share. This is very true as we deal with our children. You know, when you have younger children, it's pretty simple exchange. Because your kids, one, they want to please you, generally speaking. And two, they don't have too many choices. <laughs> They have almost no power. What are they going to do? They got no money. They can't drive. But they do get older. And, and, and generationally, we find ourselves in conflict. We find ourselves seeing the world from different perspectives. And, and I'll tell you, man, you talk about some hard conflict. It's when a parent believes they're the patient. Why doesn't my child respect me for it? Why don't they listen to me? Why da, 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 da? And the child going, I don't know why my parents just don't love me unconditionally. Da, 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 da. I'm the patient. I don't know why I need this, what I need from them. Uh. And as both of these people treat themselves as the patient, the real patient, the relationship they share is dying, suffering. And we have to understand who the patient is. 
So often when it's a conflict in a relationship, it's the relationship. When it's something going on at work, maybe it's the good of the company. When it's, when it's philosophical, maybe it's the greater good. The patient is very seldom the people who are feeling the conflict. There's usually a deeper patient. There's something underneath it that needs to be saved. So the people involved in the conflict have to sacrifice to save the real patient. And when we're in the middle of it, our attitude is saying, what is right? And number two, who is the patient? The third question is this, what really needs to heal? What really needs to heal? I'm not saying that you and I have control over what needs to heal. But it helps me when I am in conflict or in opposition. It helps me to stop and to think, listen, what's really going on here? I mean, sometimes when individuals are conflicting and and people have certain perspectives, I always want to ask this question, what happened to you? How did you get here? Because what needs to heal is deeper than what's presenting. There's all kinds of things. Something happened to them when they were a child, the way their mother treated them or didn't treat them or how they still don't have the kind of support. Something's going on. And if the patient is the relationship, then what needs to heal is generally broader than just the conflict that's presenting. And that you and I as kingdom people are people who understand this. We have this level of maturity and connection with the people around us. We see the people around us as creations, children of Father God. And and we're not treating them with disrespect and dishonor. We understand that, that we are invited to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That in fact our message is a message of love. Our message is a message of grace. Yes, we seek what is right. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We don't pretend that our opinion of what is right has cornered the market. We listen, we grow, we mature, we change. We let ourselves mature in the process. And we're constantly aware of the patient. I can win the battle and lose the war. I can win the battle with my spouse and lose the war. I can win the battle with my child and lose the war. I can win the battle in this friendship and lose the war. There is something greater at stake than this conflict that I'm in. And there are layers and layers of things that likely need to be healed anytime there is conflict. The biblical pattern is that there is an acknowledgement that there's going to be opposition and conflict. I don't know about you, but it seems to me (laughs) that there's a beauty in the reality that if I try to do nothing, it's more peaceful. Anybody else understand that? Get that? Okay. The level of enthusiasm is... <laughs> Obviously, that's me blaming you for the problem instead of taking it on. At this moment, I believe I'm the patient. and uh... <laughs> I mean, I drive down my street sometimes, and there are houses in my neighborhood where people have just given up. You understand what I'm saying? They have just said, you know what? I'm going to let the yard go back to the way nature intended it. (laughs) And I got to tell you, there's a part of me that really admires that. You know? You just go, hey, why get so twisted up? I mean, is any of this going to be here 100 years from now? I mean, what are we worried about really? And if it is, I'm not going to be. I don't have to look at it, so what do I care? I mean, isn't there kind of a beauty to that sort of, I just don't care. Because, you know, that, that'll help get rid of inner conflict. Just don't care. Just, yeah, well, the front door fell off. Eh. <laughs> Who's going to break into a house that looks like this? 
Because the minute you start getting an opinion, then you have opposition, don't you? I mean, the minute you, you go, oh, no, I got to keep up with that. No, I'm going to take care of it. No, I'm going to have to fix that. No, I have to fix that. Because there's a cosmic kind of lethargy in the world, isn't there? I mean, it's cosmic. It's at that level. <laughs> it's kind of like, a, you know, like if you want to do something good, listen. Like, for example, if you said, I'm going to lose weight, and I'm going to start eating healthier. You know what happens next, right? Cake. It is a cosmic thing. If you decide to eat better and be healthy, someone will show up with cake. If you want cake, just tell the universe you're trying to eat better. I mean, it's just, it happens that way. And the scripture embraces this reality. And here's what's astonishing. The scripture says that the moment you begin to embrace kingdom values, the moment you begin to move forward in your life for what is better and what is good and what is greater, then the conflict begins. And it actually begins inside you the moment you decide to do better. You don't even have to think about culture and the world and all that other stuff. As soon as you say, I'm going to do better, the voices in your head start going, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> What's astonishing about that is that Paul <laughs> writes about it actually in the Bible, Romans 7. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good as it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do what I, the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. So if the, I find this law at work, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. <laughs> I know it sounds like a tongue twister. <laughs> but there's a part of us that we go, oh, yeah. I know exactly what that's like. As soon as I determine that I'm going to do kingdom life and kingdom value, something even inside my own life, some kind of thing. And Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it to the full, which suggests that when we jump into kingdom life, there is opposition. Inside our own bodies, inside our own minds, inside our own attitudes, there's opposition. Something pushes back. Something holds us back transfer that into the larger culture and into relationships and the complexity happens so so much so that Jesus speaks to this issue John 16 I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace in this world you will have trouble but be of good cheer I've overcome the world there's no hiding from this scripture doesn't suggest <coughs> just because there's an idea of green pastures and still waters that you're going to live a life in which you are not engaged in this process of opposition Jesus further says in Matthew 10, 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. That's, I don't know, probably not many of us have that carved into a plaque that hangs in our home somewhere. <laughs> we, we have a tendency to post more, you know, still waters and green pastures sort of, you know. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Because we are like sheaves among wolves. I mean, you know, you just, you just don't want to put that next part in there. It just doesn't feel. But the scripture doesn't turn away from that. If you jump into kingdom life, there will be conflict. There will be opposition. There will be difficulty. There's a lethargy in the universe that makes it hard for us to do the right thing. Paul 
writing in Romans 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, not the present, not the future, not any powers, not height, not depth, not anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Well, that's a great hopeful phrase. I mean, it's a great hopeful verse, but immediately you're like, whoa, we need all that? <laughs> I mean, obviously there's going to be something going on that we need to keep saying to ourselves. Nothing can separate us, not life, not death, not things present, not things to come, not powers, not principalities, not life, not death, but in all these things, we are more than conquerors, he goes on to say. So conflict is a part, opposition is a part of this thing called kingdom life. And I don't know about you, but I keep hoping that that kingdom life, I, I really believe, I don't know how we got this into our theology, but somehow we got it into our theology that when you're pleasing God, when everything's going well, then you have green pastures and still waters. And that if you're not having green pastures and still waters, have you read Job? I mean, that's a whole theology of Job. Is Job is having a hard time and his friends are going, well, you must be doing something wrong. If you did what God wanted, he would give you a wonderful, pleasing life, and you wouldn't have any of these trials and tribulations. You know? and, and if you don't get anything else out of that story, you should be able to go, no, turns out you can do everything right and still have opposition, still have difficulty. That is not the measure of grace. In the kingdom of God, we're asking what is right. We're asking who's the patient. We're asking what needs to heal. These are questions that drive us deeper into the reality of life. They don't let us live up on the surface in the triage of human beings and human experience. We're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. There's a healing kind of thing that happens with us, not because we're jumping off the cliff, but because we are in it. We're in the trenches, and we're serving in faithful ways. Elijah has been in conflict. He's He's experienced the opposition, and we left him. He had confronted Obadiah, who had gone to Ahab, and, and, and now Ahab has arrived, and, and Elijah and Ahab are having a conversation. And basically, uh, Elijah says, listen, uh, I want you to go gather all of the prophets of Baal, and let's, let's basically have a confrontation. Let's settle this thing. And so as the story unfolds, we're told that uh, Ahab goes and he gathers not only the 450 prophets of Baal who eat at the table of Jezebel, but also he notifies the people that there's going to be a confrontation. And so all the people of Israel show up. We're told they show up on Mount Carmel. Uh, if you've been to Israel, you know this. Mount Carmel is not Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is the mountains of Carmel. Uh, the, it's a mountain range, but there is a church at the place where this story supposedly took place. So you can go there. You know. So there they all gather in the mountains over by the coast. Uh, by the city of Haifa, and uh, uh, they gather there. And it's this, this situation where, you know, Elijah stands in front of the people and he says, Listen, if you believe God to be God, then serve God. And if you believe Baal to be God, then serve Baal. But it's time to make a choice. It's time to make a decision. It's time to figure out where your head is. So this is what I propose. I propose that two altars be built and two sacrifices be prepared. And we'll put wood on the altar, and we'll put a sacrifice on the altar, but we'll put no fire on the altar. And, and then the prophets of Baal can pray and ask their God to send fire, and then I'll pray and ask my God to send fire, and whoever sends fire, that God will be God. Everybody get it? <laughs> and all the people are like, yeah, I think we understand. You know, probably somebody said, wait, 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 let me get it straight. So you're going to build two altars, and you're going to put on a sacrifice, and you're going to be some wood, but there's no fire, and then they're going to pray, and if and then you're going to pray, and then da So, okay, so whichever thing catches on fire, that's the one we're believing in, right? <laughs> that's it. 
That's how it's going to go. And Elijah's got attitude. And so he says, I I want you prophets of Baal to go ahead and get started. You go ahead and do your thing. And so we're told at the time of the morning sacrifice, the prophets of Baal began to pray to Baal. And and they, you know, police and fire, they're praying, they're doing their thing. And they do that until noon. So they've prayed all morning and nothing has happened yet. And so now Elijah begins to make fun of them. I don't recommend this part of the story necessarily. (laughs) Well, maybe your God's asleep. Maybe if you prayed a little louder, he would hear you and answer your prayer. Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's traveling. It literally says, maybe your God is traveling and he's unavailable at this moment. Maybe you just need to pray harder. And so we're told that that the prophets of Baal get into a frenzy. And they begin to pray and they're shouting and they're carrying on. And and the custom in a lot of the pagan religions was to cut yourself to demonstrate your faithfulness, to demonstrate the honor that you're giving to God. And so we're told that they begin to cut themselves. And it must have been a terrible spectacle. And that they pray until the time of the evening sacrifice. So now they've prayed all day. They've prayed from early morning until the end of the day. And at this point, Elijah steps forward and says, well, now it's my turn. Now, this powerful imagery that's about to take place, it's a whole sermon in and of itself, but we're not going to preach it because you would be here for a long time. He rebuilds the altar of God, we're told. So clearly what has happened in the nation of Israel is there's just been this erosion of belief and this erosion of kingdom life. And so, so the, the, the altar of God, which was present in this place, has been torn down, and it's lying in ruins. And then there's been a, an altar of Baal that has kind of become the focus of things, and that's what's been the focus up to this point. But now we're told Elijah takes and he rebuilds the altar of God. He rebuilds the altar of God, and he puts in place 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. What a powerful image this is. I mean, you can imagine the crowd that has gathered to watch the spectacle as he lifts this up and says, this is the tribe of Benjamin. And don't you know, all people are like, oh, yeah, that is us, you know. I mean, you know, they probably had pennants, Benjamin, <laughs> T-shirts. I mean, do you think they had concessions at this place? I don't know. And one by one, he takes a stone in the name of each tribe. It's brilliant. This is brilliant. These aren't spectators. These people have a piece of what's happening as he places it carefully and rebuilds the altar of God. And then he places sticks and wood on the top of the altar, and then he places the sacrifice on top of the sticks, and then he says... Wait, (laughs) dig a trench around the altar. Take these three barrels and go down and fill them with water and bring them back. And they do. And they pour three massive barrels of water over the altar. And it runs over. Think of the cleansing imagery of what's going on here. He's rebuilt the altar of God. He's placed the stones in. He washes the altar. And then he says, do it again. (laughs) And they do it again. And then he says, do it a third time. And if you're keeping up with the multiplication, you know this is 12 barrels over the 12 tribes as he gathers them in this place, as he says, we're going to decide now, is it Baal, is it God? And then he prays. And the prayer is such a simple thing. God, you told me to come here. And you told me to do this. 
And this is your fight and this is your thing. So would you go ahead and send fire? And God does. And we're told that fire comes from heaven and it consumes the sacrifice and it consumes the wood and it consumes the altar and it consumes until all that is left is dust. That God has accepted. You understand the ritual of sacrifice and of fire is that God is accepting the offering. He's accepting, he's welcoming, he's breathing in the aroma of the sacrifice of his people. He's participating with them. And then the people shout, the Lord is God. We will serve the Lord our God. I see a strategy in this that I think matters to us. And I think there's four pieces that matter when we're in opposition. We've talked about the attitude. Let's talk about the strategy. If I just were to sum up the strategy, it's this. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Number one, Elijah presents to the people a simple choice. It's a simple choice. If God is God, then serve him. If Baal is God, then serve him. In other words, if there's something else worth following, follow. But if there's not something else worth following, then follow God. Follow God. I think the toughest place to be when we're living in the middle of opposition is in a place where we're trying to believe a whole bunch of stuff at the same time. Where, where our brains have gotten this complex layering of all kinds of things that are happening. And ultimately, it boils down to this. What works? A really simple choice. I could believe in a lot of things. I could invest in a lot of things. But if God is God, then serve him. And if there's some other things at work, then, then by all means, stop trying to be stretched in so many directions. <laughs> but keep it simple. Keep your belief lines simple and clean. Number two, Elijah's got simple thinking. It's not just a simple choice. And here's his line of reasoning. Go ahead and serve what responds. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things I can invest my belief in, but I can't think of very many things that respond. I can't think of very many things that speak back into my life. And I wish through the course of time, you know, that, that God had been audible, that, that there were times that, you know, uh, like in Daniel's day, that God would write on the wall and it would be like, oh, okay, I'm getting it, you know. But I do have to say, in the... In the in the great complexity of life, when I quiet my heart and I become a person who seeks first the kingdom of God and his way, his righteousness, God consistently responds in my life. Consistently responds. Sometimes that's just a sense that I have inside of me of his presence and sometimes that is a, a working out of circumstances and sometimes that's understanding and seeing things I hadn't seen or understood before. Sometimes a, God has a way of circling back. I don't know if that happens to anybody else, but sometimes when I'm going through things in my life, God will bring up a verse to me out of some of the strangest means, and I'll be like, oh, that can't be coincidence. That There's no way that this verse could show up at this moment except God is somehow responding to me. And I wonder how often in our lives God is willing to respond, but because going back to the first that it's not really a simple choice anymore, that we're trying to cover everything, that we're thinking about a million things, and so when God is responding, we're missing it. 
But for Elijah, it's a simple choice if God is God's servant. And it's a simple way of thinking. The God who shows up and responds is the one you will want to follow. And I think that's worth thinking about when we are in the process of opposition. And number three, it's a simple faith. Uh, faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. That's an investment that we make. And in the middle of opposition, whatever that opposition might be, because sometimes we have an opposition that has to do with physical circumstances, our physical health, uh, finances, job situations, the future. Uh, sometimes it has to do with relationships. Sometimes it has to do with our culture and our world. But a simple faith says, I believe that God is in this. I believe that God is working. I believe that God is doing, that in all things he's working for my good. I believe that. I'm going to invest in that. I don't have to think like that. I don't have to have faith. I can be in despair, and I'm excellent at that. Amen? It's easy for me to let my imagination run off. Well, it's all falling apart. And maybe it is. But faith is a better way to live. Trusting in God is a better way to live. I mean, I could give you this psychological breakdown of how that all works, but to simply say there is a reason to believe in something. There is a reason to have faith. There is a reason to quiet your heart and quiet your mind and say, my God will supply all of my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And this is where I'm going to live. I'm not going to live all over the place. I'm not going to bounce around. I'm not going to go crazy. I'm going to stay right in here, and I'm going to live this way. And I'm going to trust. And I'm going to pray over and over, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Number four, he prays a simple prayer. I don't know. It seems to me that... Uh, it's profound because what Elijah basically says is this is not my fight <laughs> this, this, this thing that's happened now one of the beautiful things about this story in fact I wrote these words in the notes and when I reread them I'm like well that's a terrible thing to say <laughs> but one of the wonderful things about this story is is that when we think about his simple faith his simple faith is about to run out. <laughs> and so what I wrote, it like, yeah, you know, we're just a few verses away from the fact that his faith is about to take a total nosedive. <laughs> I mean, right now he's on the mountaintop and he's praying, oh, and fire is falling and people are like, oh, yeah. One little thing is going to happen and Elijah is going to be a broken human being. And so I wrote in there, what a wonderful story. And then I thought, well, it's not really a wonderful story, is it? <laughs> What's wonderful about it is it's completely human, and it's in there. And so this simple faith is about to be pushed over the edge, and, and he's going to be a mess. He's just going to be a mess of a human being. But right now, he understands the sweet spot, and the sweet spot is, this is not my fight. He's going to forget this. He's going to forget it in flames, and he's going to take it on. And, and we knew, I, I wish I could tell the whole story, but that would ruin the next three sermons. But. 
But his, the nature of this collapse is going to be this. This is my fight. It's up to me. I'm the only one. I'm the only one that's still here. I'm the only one that still believes. I'm the only one. Blah, 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 blah. Me, 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 me. Blah, blah, blah. And how often is that us? But here's his simple prayer. That's not my fight. You sent me here. You set this whole thing up. So you need to take care of it. And how often in our own, so can we just pray that simple prayer? Isn't that the profound prayer of Jesus in the garden? I mean, of all the things Jesus could have been doing in the garden, with the balance of the world, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. I mean, how simple is this prayer? Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, it's not what I want, it's what you want. This is, this is your thing. I'm just in it. <laughs> I'm just living this out. You've numbered my days. You know my story. You know my path. You know, you know everything about me. My simple prayer is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't have to think much further than that. I don't have to go much further than that. I can simply live in this space and say, you know what? This opposition that's happening, those people, this thing, I don't know how they do I don't know. Ah, I don't know what's wrong with them. I'm the patient. It's not my fight. It's not my fight. <laughs> your kingdom come. Lead me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Make it right. The green pastures and the still waters lie on the path of righteousness. Make it right. Make it right. Make it right. This is your fight. It's not mine. I am simply clay in the hands of the potter. I, you just, I'm going to keep it simple. <laughs> I'm going to keep it simple. I'm going to quit trying to figure it out. I'm going to quit trying to understand it. I'm going to quit trying to win. I'm going to let go. <laughs> And I'm going to allow God to do what God does. And I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the rightness of his ways. And if I don't believe God exists, I can at least read the book and go, that's better. It's better to be loving. It's better to be forgiving. It's better to be kind. It's better to be joyful. It's better to be patient. It's better to be peaceful. It is better. 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 It's better for you. It's better for your marriage. It's better for your kids. It's better for your neighbors. It's better for anybody you know. So I'm going to keep coming back to this place. I have told you these things so that you might have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. In all things, I'm working for your good. You can rest in that. You can have an attitude in the middle of conflict in which you are actually salt and light. What is right? Who is the patient? Who needs to be healed? What needs to be healed? And you can keep it simple. Simple choice. A simple faith. A simple prayer. My prayer is that all of us would have a lot of green pastures and still waters. <laughs> but when you don't, it's okay. You can still invite God to be in that place with you. And you can go ahead and live out kingdom life and kingdom values because God sees where you are and he cares about where you are and he will see you through the opposition. God, would you help us?
you've told us to count it pure joy when we go through trials of every kind. That's hard for us. So maybe you could simply remind us that opposition is a part of being a kingdom person. It's really part of just being alive, but as your word teaches us, the more we pursue what is right and good, the greater the conflict. So would you remind us today to have an appropriate attitude in the midst of opposition and to jump in anyway? To go ahead and be kingdom people and do the kingdom work and live out the kingdom values. And would you remind us that strategically we can keep it pretty simple. It's a simple choice and a simple way of thinking. And a simple faith. And a simple prayer. If God is God, we follow you. Show up. Demonstrate your presence in life respond in our stories, in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirits, in our relationships, and in our circumstances. And on days when we feel alone, we'll trust you. We'll walk by faith and not by sight. And we'll pray simple prayers. It's your fight. It's your world. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said together. We're going to stand and respond. If you want to pray, there are counselors available at the close of the service. God bless. Let's respond to his word. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.